Hey, this is Mike from Bot Brothers AI for Educators. Before we get the show started, we just want to let you know that we now have a YouTube channel. It's Bot Brothers AI for Educators on YouTube. We recorded this show before we decided to have the channel, but after having our guest on it, Mr. Dan Jones, we thought that it should be uh, easy to see his work. So we built the channel just so you can see his stuff. Check it out. Welcome. This is the Bot Brothers AI for Educators. I'm Mike Pearson. And I'm Pat Burns. On today's episode, we have another educator um, hailing from Ohio. It's Mr. Dan Jones. He's a middle school social studies teacher. Uh, he's been in the classroom for the past 18 years. So, Dan, you're about the same amount of time that, that I've been in the classroom. I'm 20. I think, Pat, you're up around 15, aren't you? Um, Brother. You're an FLGI International faculty member. I'm going to ask you what that is here in a second. A master Flip educator. You've authored uh, Flipped 3.0 Project-Based Learning, an Insanely Simple Guide. Um, there's a, if there's a link to that, we'll put that in episode uh, notes. And you've earned your master's degree from the American College of Education in the area of curriculum and instruction with a specialization in digital teaching and learning. So you're all in on the digital. Um, just real quick, can you, can you clear up what, what is the FLGI International faculty member? FLGI is the Flipped Learning Global Initiative, and it's the program that was started by John Bergman, and they had developed an international faculty program that essentially looked for some of the most committed um, practitioners of flipped mm-hmm. learning, and we would meet on a fairly regular basis um, and uh, go over different projects that we were working on. And one of the projects that developed out of that was um, FLR Magazine, which is uh, Flip Learning Review Magazine. So every article was about flip learning, and it was a publication okay. to really support educators who were uh, starting to flip their classes and provide them with support and uh, encouragement and ideas so that they can better meet the needs of their students. Okay. And one of the other projects that we did was we actually went through, uh, there were about 100 of us that from 49 different countries that got together um, and figured out different standards for flipped classrooms. So that way everybody's working with the same material and it's not everybody trying to figure it out on their own. Yeah, great. Okay, thanks for that. Um, so so here's here's how you kind of came into to our, our, our kind of hemisphere, I guess. So Pat's active on Facebook. I'm not for for a lot of reasons, and he started texting me all, all this stuff about about you and all these like crazy images, and he was like, "Check out Dan Jones, right? What what he's doing?" And I was like, "What is this?" Like, I was just totally like, "What what is this, Pat?" And then and then Pat, what was your response? Uh, I was just sort of kind of blown away. I I, I was I remember looking at your. Uh, I guess your 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 work where it, it it looks essentially to me like almost like it's like some sort of movie production, <laughs> and I, I was just like who who is this guy and how did he do this? And when I realized that there that AI was involved, I got really excited because I was thinking, well, gosh, this is amazing. I want to figure out how to do this maybe for some of my units where I can make it seem so uh, uh, polished and just um, it, it, I would presume very. I, I'm actually curious how your students you know interacted with it because to me. It's just so visually just striking 
that it made it, it just it was exciting to look at to see how you put this together. But it just seems so kind of like it, I, I was thinking he had to have had a production team. But this because how else do you do this? Um, and so I just want to know more because visually it's so so stunning and something that I'd love to be able to kind of provide uh, some links or something so that our our sure. listeners can check it out because it's it's really something you have to see it to to believe it. It, it really kind of blew me away. Could you could you screen share maybe pull up a, a couple of things, Dan, and we'll kind of since we don't have a, a video um, yet of, of this show, uh, we'll sure. kind of just like narrate it. I mean, I, I've seen some things, but it's been on my phone, so I think we gave you the share screen rights. Yep. Let me pull. I can pull up our. Um, well, and, and as as you're doing that, I seem to recall uh, like you covered the Bill of Rights because you you do like seventh and eighth grade history, right? I do. I, I cover so, essentially everything from the fall of the Roman Empire through Reconstructionism in America. Right. So okay. it's, I mean, it's a significant amount of time. I mean, we're looking at probably 1600 plus yeah. years. Well, so it's yeah. basically a survey, essentially, like a survey course. Right. And then you have like different units on different sort of kind of eras, if you will, it seems. And then and then each one that you have these units that visually just so striking. Yeah. And you've got this sense of, I don't want to take your, I don't want to steal your thunder here, Dan, but, but it, you, the screen you just popped up, it looks like Netflix. <laughs> like you're entering it, into some, you, you want to totally. walk us through kind of like, yes, yeah, what, what you got it's here. It's very much, uh, I wanted it to mirror a streaming service um, because one, it's what the students enjoy. They love to watch movies. They love to watch mm-hmm. Netflix. They love to watch um, you know, Amazon, Hulu, whatever. And so I was like, okay. And I, I have to give credit. One of my, I've had two students because I do project-based learning. I had two students that were like, can I do a project that looks like Netflix? And I was like, <laughs> sure. I, I don't know how you'll do that, but you know, let's, let's try right. and see how it goes. So yeah. the one student, she made her project completely on paper. And she designed everything to look like Netflix. And she loved art. She loved to draw. Um, she was really into um, specialty markers that she had gotten. And so it turned out incredible. And I was like just flipping through page after page. And I was like blown away. And then um, that was like four years ago that I had mm-hmm. a student do that. Then this okay. year I had a student that developed one and it was done in google slides and so she wrote all of her little narratives and things for each uh part of the lesson and it really looked a lot like netflix and it really resonated with her and i was like okay our curriculum is super boring in its presentation (laughs) because we were using can uh canvas and i was like this canvas is boring really Yeah, Yeah. we we, we use the same thing. We we understand. (laughs) (laughs) The the layout of it, it, it's there's nothing there that is like eye catching or interesting. Your content may be awesome, but Mm -hmm. the format is is just mind numbing. And so I wanted to since I already had a lot of the content built, um, whether it's, you know, the activities, the lessons themselves, the videos, uh, notes. All of that was already built. All I had to do was then make this particular platform. And so um, I set it up so that it was divided by class because I wanted there 
assessments to be organized by class. I'm very um, much about organization and making sure everybody's in their box where they need to be. Um, right. I don't like to keep kids in their in a box. Don't get me wrong. Um, but I like to have things neat and organized. So I have each of the individual classes. Um, so mm-hmm. when they click on their class, well, can, can I can I jump in there? Like so so sure. if you can't because we no one can see this right because it's, it's a podcast. So what you have is you, you just you've got like a, a web page, and it's all black borders, and then you've got like two icons, almost like you're almost like a Netflix. You are going to click on like like your account basically. Your, yep. But your yep. account is your class, and so the kids would click on their class, so it feels like you're going into a streaming service, and then boom, they click on that, and out pops. Like out. what looks like movie covers, these really killer movie covers. Like it goes, and, and it's it's a scroll bar. Like so, it just scrolls, just like if you got like the Roku or Rocky device, however however you say that, right? And it right. goes like the, the decline of I can't can't quite read that. The Renaissance, Ren advancements, it begins, and the graphics look like movies I want to totally see. Like I would totally sit down and be like, "Ooh, I'm gonna watch this tonight," you know, when the kids are in bed. Boom. Right. Right. Okay. And it. The the thing to me was I wanted each of the, I mean they're essentially movie posters that right. um, I I designed and I wanted them to be intriguing. I wanted the kids to one be able to see what's coming in the future uh, units of study and to be like, what is going on? Why well, you know. <laughs> that looks so mysterious or it looks so interesting. And it, I desperately wanted to give them something that resonated with their world, with their interests, um, but also to show them that history can come alive. It's not just boring facts on a page about people who died a long time ago. Mm-hmm. Uh, but there well, are so, stories so, to tell. So so that's awesome. Uh, let me ask you this because I'm looking at the screen right now and Mike kind of uh, uh, went through a few of them. So you, at the moment that you've got uh, a whole unit on Rome, feudalism, the Roman Catholic Church, made it like medieval towns. And to your point, they all look like movie posters. Yes. How did you, how did you create those posters? Because uh, I'm seeing that you're using uh, Genially as like kind of your, your platform to put this together. So, so right. those teachers who are, who are familiar with Genially, you can make it in that system if you want to. I don't, I don't know if other systems would work, but that one does. But how'd you make the images? Was that AI or was that something else? Or like, did you have a background in art or I don't graphic design? The images are stunning. They're stunning. The the images were all created using Midjourney. I wondered okay, about there we go. that. There you go. Okay. Midjourney is incredible because you can put in a simple prompt and get amazing results out of it. Mm-hmm. And there are um, I mean, even if you were to Google, you know, an image of the Pope, and then you start to really look at that, uh, an image similar to something that you may want, and to think about, okay, what's the lighting like? What is, mm-hmm. you know, what direction is he looking? Um, do you want him looking down? Do you want smoke to be billowing in the background? Um, right. And you really start to build these um adjectives and such that you want represented within your picture and so in mid-journey all you do is you literally you go in and you type backslash imagine and then it comes up with the prompt you click on it and you tell it 
the image you want it to make. Mm-hmm. And um, I, I'm going to, I know <laughs> our, our listeners can't necessarily see this, but I'm going to take you to mid journey. Yeah. Okay. And well, so so, while you're oh, okay, you all of the yeah. different images that have been generated so far, these are, all these, yours. these are ones that you, yeah, that you made. These are all ones that I've made. Okay. And just to show you, um, like for yeah, instance, now you, you do have the to Lincoln be careful with some of the images because you'll notice I have a picture of Lincoln here. He has six fingers. Yeah. <laughs> so yeah, it doesn't do, be like, doesn't do hands well. <laughs> well, he so, was taller than everyone back then, right? So he necessarily yeah, he was like six fingers digit. taller. It's, right. This is right. Yeah. Okay. All right. Huh. So, He's like Hemingway's cat. <laughs> I, so, I was yeah, like, so okay. We've been using, I love this I, image. I was mostly. Oh, go ahead, Dan. No, I'm just saying I, I love the image, but then you get the option. You get to create variations of that image. Mm-hmm. So you can just click on and say, I want variations of image number three because okay. it'll generate four. And then mm-hmm. I was able so, to. So it's like, it's like it's like Dolly in that way that it's yes. like here's four different options. OK, got it. Yep. So I was able to get him so that he only had five fingers. Great. Oh, there you um, go. OK. But very similar um, pose, very similar dynamics. Mm-hmm. And the prompt was I just wanted President Abraham Lincoln wearing his black top hat while giving his Gettysburg address. I wanted cinematic lighting and epic mm-hmm. storytelling, a close up shot. I wanted it to be a movie angle and somewhat of a movie poster style. And okay. so that's the image that it generated. And the amount of detail that it provides was mind blowing. Mm-hmm. And so each of the images that I was able to make um, for the actual presentation um, that the students would interact with. I then took those images from Midjourney and I, I used two different sites. I used postermywall.com and postermywall. Postermywall.com. And um, then I used Canva because in both Canva and Poster My Wall, all you do is type in um, like movie posters and Mm -hmm. um, it'll actually come up with templates. And Mm -hmm. all you do is plug Mm -hmm. your image into it. Very cool. I've not heard of this. This is great. The, so it, wait, wait, so, it literally so the image, gives you all of these. So, so to be clear, so like what you're showing is a screen on postmywall.com where you've typed in movie poster. It gives you a bunch of different examples of movie posters. You just found one that like tonally seemed to work for what you're going for. Is that right? And then you yep. take your image and superimpose it onto that poster. Is that a fair assessment? Yeah, because essentially, okay. I mean, I, I look at, I'm not necessarily looking at the images that are on the uh the examples that they give, I look mm-hmm. at the um, font and the mm-hmm. layout and things like that, because yeah. that's that's going to like the image itself is going to be replaced with my image that right. I created. OK, OK. So then that enables me to generate that's the posters for my curriculum. 
I appreciate you saying that because that was actually, you answered the question I was going to have, which is like across these four, again, you got legacy of Rome, feudalism, Roman Catholic Church, medieval towns. When you look at these, they they all seem kind of, they all have that kind of this dark sort of mood to them. And, and, and but they're consistent. And I was like, how did he do that? And so is, is that website that allowed you to, to do that? Because, okay. Yeah. And a lot of times when you put in that prompting of cinematic lighting on mm-hmm. um, Mid Journey, it's, it creates a similar style mm-hmm. in all of your images. Mm-hmm. So the more consistent you can be in your image prompting, the right. more consistent your images will be. So let me ask you this. If, um, going back to like your students, because you said that you had some students who initially kind of gave you the seeds of this idea. Right. That have you had students then kind of take things to a certain or similar level to what you've done? And if so, how would you... I guess, essentially train students to kind of know how to prompt. Uh, right. I actually, it was a conversation I had with the whole class um, after, um, I would say it was probably around February-ish of this year. And I said, guys, there is a new skill that you're going to need to develop. And that's prompting. You all are going to need to learn how yeah. to prompt AI so Agreed. that you can get amazing results but it is a skill set that will be on resumes that Mm. you are um an engineering prompter or a photographic prompter and you can use ai well enough to get desired results for your employer and that is going to be a marketable skill and Mm -hmm. when i started making these images because when i first laid out my curriculum like this. I was finding images from historical movies and things like that, that I was like, okay, you know, that fits with this particular topic that we're covering. But then when I started to jump into mid journey and I realized I could create my own, mm-hmm. I knew that I wasn't going to deal with any of the licensing issues. Right. If I wanted right. to say, go and sell the curriculum and it, I wouldn't have to fight that battle with movie studios or things like that with copyright infringement because any AI generated image is non-copyrighted imagery. And that came down from the Supreme Court. Yeah, that was recent. It was. Yeah, there, there, there are some people looking into like the training models and all that. So there'll probably be some, but, but that's been the most recent thing is that the Supreme Court said, and there was the Andy Warhol bit too, right? Right. That, yeah, so there, there's that's interesting. So you've been thinking about that. How, how long have you been using Midjourney? Um, I have been using Midjourney for, I would say, probably three months. Okay, you, you're saying three months, like, well, like from, like February the past three months because you said February, so it's really just been in it. No, wait, you created this thing, this, this whole kind of this imagery within. I, I'm sorry, I'm having a hard time wrapping my head around this. <laughs> I, because I'm the, thinking, the, re- the looked, reason why Pat so good, <laughs> it looks yeah. so good. But you, like, how long did it take for you to like, get these images to where you thought they were, or to, to this point? Was it like you figured you you're like, oh, this thing on Mid Journey, and within a week you had it figured out, or a day, or like it's staggering. It just is well, it's blowing my mind. I, I would say some of my first images that I because I learned about it on Instagram, mm-hmm. um, and mm-hmm. I'm sure it was some 10 second video. Somebody was like, I can't believe this website's free. And, you know, 
at the time, Midjourney was free. Right. Now it's not. Right. And now it's like eight bucks a month for three hours worth of um, AI generated images. And yeah. each image takes about a minute. So okay. you can do the math of 180 right. images a month. Um, but it took me probably, I would say, a good couple weeks to really right. get the imaging down that this is what I'm looking right, for. Right. And then it's about tweaking the prompt um, because you, you'll put in a uh -huh. prompt. It'll give you something. You're like, Ooh, that's not exactly what I was going for. What if I take mm -hmm. out this word? You take out right. one word, gives you a completely different image. And so, but you can even be as specific as like with the image about feudalism, you know, I wanted two knights that were in battle against one another. Mm -hmm. And you can tell where the lighting is supposed to come from. You can mm -hmm. say, I want sparks clashing on the swords. And it it will give you that imagery. The other thing that I have recently discovered is, again, through Instagram, is a site called Nightmare AI. Because mid-journey, it gives you a great looking image. This image looks great at the size that it currently is on the computer. If I wanted to blow these up, though, into actual posters and hang them in my classroom, which I would love to do, I need to upscale it. Nightmare right. AI is a free upscaling um, website that allows you, I mean, it it will clean up the image that... Uh, mid journey gives you well into that point is that when you say clean up does it mean that when you're upscaling that the resolution is still yep. intact that you're not that's what you essentially mean right yep okay. you're you're it actually um allows you to zoom in quite a bit without mm -hmm. it becoming pixelated right okay. it almost like fills in the pixels so you have right. more more definition um okay so you're paying for mid journey now i i'm 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 i i was talking to our our district um superintendent and I, and I said you you really ought to probably be paying for getting ai um licenses for all your teachers for chat gpt and midjourney and all this and we'll we'll see if we do that or not but um i think what's really interesting dan is that, that do you have all this content knowledge for from teaching all these years and you were able to create i mean pretty much like if you think old school like a textbook Right. But, mm -hmm. but it's way better than the textbook. It looks way better. It's way cooler. And you're able to do it in a, a couple of weeks. Right. So over the course of like really three months, but in that time, like there's, there's like the learning curve, right. Figuring out how to prompt mid journey. And then once you figured it out, you are creating these amazing looking um, units, right. That I want to, that I want to click on and check out. Uh, and, and just um, people are talking about AI like being an enhancement and like this the AI knowing mid journey for you and your job is is making you like a hundred times more productive, you know, just in, well, in it, design. And the thing about like the the imagery I was able to figure out fairly quickly, but the entire platform of organizing all of this, that has taken the entire school year. Okay. And well, really, let me back that up. Around October is when I switched from Canvas to this. And 
the thing was, I started out, I was like, all right, guys, we're going to try something and see how it works. With that statement, I committed myself to it because the students loved it. And I knew I couldn't then go back. <laughs> yeah, right. 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 Because they're engaged. Yeah. They're engaged. They're, they're, they're like, this is incredible. And so I, I spent hours. I mean, I have put in hundreds of hours okay. trying to get this platform to what it is. And when you say platform, do you mean the Genio one? Yeah. The Genio is a, Genio. I mean, it okay. is a presentation. It's a slide presentation, but it's not set up. It, it doesn't appear to be slides. Yeah. It looks like a web page. Like, have you, have you used Tome? Yeah. There's the AI, right? Mm -hmm. Like, I, I, so it's not quite like I mean, that's a presentation thing. This, but, but Genial is another one, but more, it looks more like a web page. It, it does. It makes it so that it doesn't feel like you're on Google Slides. Right. It doesn't have that sort of feel to it. And that's next level. Yeah. And each of these, like, there's so much um, that can be embedded within this one slide, um, per se. Because, like, if a student clicks on the title of our presentation, it brings up all of the, oh, it brings up the essential cool. question, all the driving questions for each of the individual lessons. And this is actually where we start when we start a unit. Um, I provide the students with all these questions and I say, all right, go do research. I want you guys yeah. to find out as much as you can about these topics. Mm -hmm. And so they will pour through the internet, um, researching those questions. And then we do what's called, uh, mind mapping. Uh -huh. And so it is a, it's a whole class group activity. And I put out big, uh, the butcher paper that yep. comes in the big rolls. Um, I just get a white piece of butcher paper, put it out on a table, tape it down. And I have all the questions written on the butcher paper. And the kids come up and they write all the different facts that they were able to find about each yeah. of those questions. So they're building off of each other's knowledge. And it's mm -hmm. not a competition, but it is mm -hmm. about finding unique information. Maybe, you know, if somebody already wrote something down, there's no sense in writing it down again. Yeah. So you need to find pieces of information that nobody else has found so it causes them mm -hmm. to dig deeper and do more informational text reading which we know kids struggle with right. and but it builds informational text like none other and so they go into a unit already knowing things mm. and how yeah. empowering is that for a kid to walk into a, a unit knowing they already know stuff there's no way yeah, that yeah. they can fail this because they, they know stuff yeah yeah. Yeah. I've got a, I've got two comments. One is like the butcher paper thing. Like years ago, I had my classroom. I, I stole this from a math teacher. My classroom, I had white whiteboards installed all the way around. Mm -hmm. Right. So there's writing surfaces. And the, I, the reason was is because when I was like a traveling teacher, mm -hmm. I had one period in a math class and, and Mr. Brown had white whiteboards all over the place. And then his, his desks were in pods. And I was like, how am I going to use this? And I quickly figured out that I could send all the kids up at once, right? So it's like butcher paper all the way around. And so, I mean, I, I teach books and fiction. So I'll, I'll have a similar question, Dan, where I'll just say, what do you know for sure so far, right? And, and, then, and then look around, you can't repeat facts, right. right? And so every kid can run up to the whiteboard at, at the same time with all the markers 
and they and they can write down whatever fact of the text that they're reading. And they can also look around and see what else has been mentioned. And so then if they're behind on the reading, right, they can become part of the conversation. Right. They fill each other in. Um, so it's interesting. So you do a similar thing to let, let the kids figure stuff out. So I was just wanted to kind of kind of like parallel a connection. Um, but I think we have a similar thinking of how we teach. But then I was wondering, so with those essential questions, those are super easy now just to drop right into chat GPT, right? Right. Um, or Bing, because Bing's Bing is basically chat GPT four, right? Mm-hmm. And and Bard's coming. And and you know, there's there's the ongoing discussion of like what what is necessary for kids to learn and like been thinking a lot about like, you know, if, if they're if we're using AI, like is it a gradual release, like you know, like you're in your classroom. No, we're going to read this thing. We're not going to use the computers. Like you're going to figure it out yourself. Um, but these big essential questions can be instantly answered by AI systems. Um, what What are your thoughts about that and that and that that tool coming into the classroom? Well, one, I think it's 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 great because it's going to teach kids a couple of different things. Because one of my rules is that they need to be able to find information on multiple sources. Because if they find something on only one source, there's no way to validate that that information is accurate. And one of the things that we know, especially with ChatGPT, is that it doesn't always give you accurate information. (laughs) It's pretty good, no doubt. And it's probably better than most of our own memories in regards to content that there are times where we get things wrong. Right. And we may mess up a date. We may mess up the pronunciation of someone's name or, you know, did they come from Portugal or was that a Spanish explorer? I, yeah, but we have to be able to, and, and I had mentioned this to another educator friend of mine. I said, you know, are we looking for perfect or are we looking for better? And, mm-hmm. AI is better. It's not perfect by any stretch. But if we can teach kids to say, all right, I'm going to use chat GPT, but then I'm going to fact check chat chat GPT. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. This gives me a great starting point. And even with um, the fact that like uh, Bard can, you know, take a look at a website and provide you a summary of that website, how much faster are they going to get their research done? And you could even say, all right, Bard, I need you to take a look at this website and put it in middle school language um, right. or put it at a fifth grade reading level so that I can understand it mm-hmm. easily. Mm-hmm. And boom, it's done. Mm-hmm. And so those are incredible tools that we can start to leverage in the classroom instead of being like, ah, they're going to use it to cheat. Right. Yeah. And I, I heard... um so I heard a, a kid ask um, somebody on a stage, you know, aren't you afraid that kids are going to use chat GPT to cheat? And he said, cheating would indicate that there's a competition. Hmm. Schools are not a place of competition. We need to get rid of this concept of cheating in schools. And I had listened to a, a different, um, it was a, um, like a, a webinar where someone was talking about like depth of knowledge. Mm-hmm. And at what point can we start 
to ask students the why question. Give them the answer and then ask them, why is that true? Mm -hmm. Why is two plus two four? Explain that to me. And that alleviates the whole, I'm not going to find the answer because I'm not good at math, but maybe I'm really good analytically and I can go through and I can like tell you, oh, if that's the answer, I can show you how we got there. I may not have been able to get there in the first place, but I can break this down. And all of a sudden, story problems aren't as challenging. Um, I mean, we have to go to depth of knowledge and go deeper with content as opposed mm-hmm. to who can memorize the best right? or who can write the best. Well, now yeah. we're at a point where you can write terribly, put that piece in mm-hmm. and have it reworked and get tremendous feedback instantly. Right. And it's not yeah. a matter of cheating because it's still your ideas. It just manipulated them to a point that everybody can now read it. Right. Yeah. Are you, are you familiar with Alfie Cohn? I'm not. Educator? You're not. He, he's, he's, he's a big one on the grade should go away, that they create extrinsic motivation that should be intrinsically motivated. Um, that they, um, so I, I think, I think you would, you, you should probably check him out because <laughs> he's kind of in that vein. And um, have you heard, and there's another uh, source. Have you ever listened to that? The Happiness Lab podcast? I have not. You should check it out. So it's it's a Yale, I think it's a Yale professor, and it's like the most popular course at Yale. Um, all these kids take it because apparently um, high-achieving students are some of the unhappiest amongst students. But she does an episode where she looks at grades, and then they end up interviewing a, a Cohen later on. But but they found out that the four-point system came from Yale, whatever university she's mm-hmm. on. It was one professor that decided at one point to grade kids' work is like, and it was like Latin words for like excellent, kind of excellent, right? The four tiers. And we and then we right. and then from then on we've had A, B, C, D. But all of this research has shown that grades um demotivate students, get rid of get rid of all intrinsic factors, um, and take the joy out of learning, uh, cause anxiety, like just all this terribleness. Yeah, mm-hmm. we still do it. Right. Right. I mean, and that's that's a lot of the practices that we do in education. We've been doing them for 200 years the same way. Mm-hmm. And rarely do we ask why and actually produce a change. And that that was one of the things that happened within my own career in that I was so burned out mm-hmm. every tool I had. Um, every educational tool that I had acquired over eight years no longer worked with my students. And I was like, this is terrible. I hate my job. I hate coming into school. I don't like the students that I'm teaching. They're mean. They do nothing but try to agitate me and see how mad they can make me. This is terrible. And I don't want to do this. And that's when I I actually went to my superintendent and principal and said, all right, this is my last year. And they said, well, actually, it's not because we're (laughs) not going to let you quit. I was like, what? How do do you not let somebody quit? Yeah, you can't do that to me. (laughs) And and she was like, well, I'm not going to let you. And you just need to figure out a different way to teach. And so that's when I actually landed on Mm. flip learning. And 
the more I dove into flipped learning, the more I realized that we were doing education so backwards that, I mean, we were sending all the hard stuff home with kids and saying, good luck. Right. Hope you do well. Hope you remember, you know, in four more hours, what you just learned in class when you go home and you start to work on stuff. And that's when the kids actually needed the teacher's help. And yeah. it wasn't when the, you know, they're in class giving notes. You really don't need your teacher's presence for that. You'll still need a teacher to guide you through the note taking process, which right. is great, but you didn't necessarily need your teacher's presence for that. There's nothing to troubleshoot in that moment of giving notes. And so I, I started flipping my class, noticed, noticed immediate results. It was night and day difference. I went from mm -hmm. having major behavior issues in the classroom to the, my biggest behavior issue was like chewing gum. <laughs> and is this kid like, did, did they have a slight side conversation? Right. And I can be like, all right, back to work because there's always something to work on in class. There's not downtime yeah. in class. There's always something to do. So whether they're working on a project, they're working through um, applying. I mean, that's that's the whole purpose or, you know, backbone of flip learning is that active learning strategy within the classroom. Mm -hmm. And the students are active. They're no longer passive. They're no longer sitting there bored out of their noggin because there's mm -hmm. stuff to do. There's mm -hmm. work to be done. And so when I was able to give them that it, and reverse that whole structure of what I had been, you know, my K-12 education and collegiate education and everything I had been taught about how to run a classroom. Mm -hmm. I was able to flip that and say, no, we've been doing this wrong for way too long. We've been doing it backwards. Now we need to put teachers, you know, as people who are guiding students through curriculum and they're able to like, literally, I, I talk to every single student, every middle school student, every single day. There isn't a single mm -hmm. kid that I don't know their voice. I don't direct them through the writing processes, you know, processing information that I'm not able to stop and say, all right, you need to go back and you need to touch base on this topic, this topic, and this topic. But I'm able to have those conversations because I'm not upfront teaching. Right. I'm on the side teaching and guiding. Yeah. I, I, the longer I've taught, the, I, I found the less I speak. Right. I, I, yeah. I, sometimes I walk out of the classroom, I'm just kind of bored because the kids are doing stuff. You know, I'm like, oh, well, if I insert myself, it's interesting for me, but I'm, I'm going to be the one that pulls them off the task. <laughs> no, <laughs> no, I, I get that. I get that 100%. Um, it, so it's, here, it's, oh, go ahead. Um, well, I was going to I was going to ask a question, but if you have, well, I have a follow up, Pat, I mean, you should definitely do that. No, I was just thinking about how a lot of what you're explaining, Dan, is, you know, I think we've all heard, uh, if not read or studied, you know, that, that idea of, of the way in which the education system was formulated uh, on a factory line kind of system. Right. Or the, right. Kind of, or assembly line kind of system. Um, and it sounds like to me that what, what you're doing with a lot of other educators who are embracing, say, flipped their approaches, but even the, a lot of educators who embrace, say, AI are saying there has to be another way because the kids are disengaging at a, at a clip that is unsustainable, right. which is to say that, that we have to find ways to modify what we're doing. And there are ways, there are definitely in the resources coming out of our ears these days 
to help make that happen. Um, I guess what was kind of going through my mind, I, you were in a situation where you were literally at an existential moment uh, mm-hmm. professionally, if not personally, I don't know, but like at mm-hmm. least professionally, where you had to very quickly figure out how do I change things? Because if I don't, I'm out, right? The game's done. Right. Um, so I guess my question for you is, uh, this is maybe going a little bit off of AI to, to the extent that like, I don't know, it's, it's not necessarily AI uh, exactly, but I feel like Mike and I were talking earlier uh, in earlier podcasts about how AI has reinvigorated our love of, of teaching or education in ways that we couldn't anticipate. So I guess what I'm wondering is like, to what extent do you find, uh, there's your extent question, Mike, uh, to what extent do you, do you find um, that, um, that, that, that what we're going through as educators, like leave the students to the side for a moment, but because students are our audience is, is they're tuning out because they've got ton, tons of things they can look at, cell phones, laptops, whatever, that we have to find a way to evolve and fast because, but, but it's going to require, it seems to me, uh, teachers being willing to seed, as in C-E-D-E, seed some level of control over what we think good teaching or what teaching is supposed to be, that we have to shift our mindset. Um, and it sounds to me that for you, it, it was an existential moment, but, but not everyone's going to be, not everyone's going to have those moments, right? So I guess what I'm wondering is like, how do you see maybe AI or, or you know, flipped classrooms or anything like that being as a way to help help kind of provide space so that teachers can do what Mike was talking about, which is to kind of go in and be like, how do I just create the space for students to kind of do what they want to do and kind of guide them? Um, and this may be kind of a heavy question, but or, or too big of a question, but I'm trying to figure out like, well, how, how do we psychologically get teachers to kind of do that? Do you have any thoughts on that? Well, one of the things, and I, I know we don't have another three hours to, sure. to go through this, <laughs> but if, some of the issues that people I think originally had with flip learning were that it was all about videos and they didn't want to be on video. They don't like being on video. They actually, they, they enjoy that conversation with their students and they, they really didn't have that comfort level with the technology piece. And what we've seen with AI is that you don't have to be on video. You can actually get chat GPT to write a video script for you. Yeah. yeah. You can then take that script, put it into, um, say, DID. Yeah. And the lips DID. don't quite match up. Right. <laughs> it's, not, it's not perfect. And that's one of the great things with AI right now is that this is the worst it will ever be. I know it's going to get better. <laughs> this, is, it, yeah. this is the worst. Yeah. You can have a, a digital avatar, like like do like a little lecture, right? And that and that I'll, little avatar can be in the bottom of your slideshow, talking yep. through everything, and you don't have and to. Then, be and in you it. can select if you want an excited voice or uh, right. uh, a shouting voice. <laughs> you you can change the inflection. You can do all sorts yeah. of different things with it, and so AI is starting to eliminate the excuses of why I can't. Right. And it's providing the support for how you can. And yeah, I, one of the things that I've really been processing here recently is like this idea of a swimming pool and, you know, everybody hanging out in the shallow end, having a lot of fun. But you're not able to go very deep over there. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. No one's really mastering um, 
say, a particular style of teaching in the shallows. Right. You're not mastering backstrokes. You're not mastering um, the butterfly or anything like that because there's there's not enough depth there to be able to do that. In order to get really good. What's that? You're not even getting wet. No. It's (laughs) a great time. You can socialize. Right. You can get the, you know, the the gold star of being the hyperactive, you know, look at me, but the depth that you're going to be able to give your students isn't necessarily there. And how do we get people to the deep end of the pool where they can actually start to, um, you know, develop those skill sets that they need to develop so that they can get back into loving their job mm-hmm. and not necessarily have it be so surface level. And just what you can see, because when you're in the deep end, the majority of what's going on is below the surface. When you're in the shallows, the majority of what's going on is above the surface. Right. And how do we train ourselves to start working more deeply with content, um, the structure of our class, you know, how we're teaching it, um, how we're engaging students? How do we get to that point? And there's usually a slope in a pool that goes from shallow to deep. It's not right. just a sudden drop off. And right. how do we get people so that they're comfortable enough to go a little bit further, a little bit further and a little bit further. Mm-hmm. And I think AI is that because AI is like your floaties in a pool. <laughs> it can carry you until you're strong enough to do other things. It yeah. can enable you to, you know, be more successful in the deep end. and those AI tools allow us to, you know, kick faster or to stay afloat longer and not sink. And they can help us to be more successful. I hope that analogy works. I Yeah, it, it, it works yeah. In, in two ways in that, like the, the floaties might be on the students because the AI might be assisting them into the deep end, right? right. While, while you're not there, right? Or it might be the teacher just trying to figure stuff out. You know, Dan, I was thinking, we did a a, a podcast with Katie Trowbridge, who's um, like the CEO of a nonprofit called Curiosity to Create and about being more creative in the classroom and teachers kind of learning how to do that. But we also talked about how, you know, this AI stuff is, is for a lot of teachers has created an existential crisis mm-hmm. because if, if AI can do a lot of the things that, you know, that, that you were teaching, you know, um, then what's my role? And, but then there's people like you that are like, but yeah, but look at, look at this other stuff I can now do. And um, I, can, I understand the existential crisis. I don't want to limit that. Cause I think in November, when I first started playing with AI, I was like, Ooh, this, this is going to be job changing. And right. teaching, teaching's hard enough. Right. And then, then have it, have the ground shift underneath you, like how it is, right. It is, it cause it induced that crisis. But I think your educational uh, existential crisis also is, the point where you people react and change and do something differently, right? Right. So all this AI stuff might be a catalyst, right, for for people to do this. Um, so I think I think podcasts like this, the work that you're doing, I know you've got a podcast is like a way of helping people like ease into those waters. Mm-hmm. And then and then I keep on thinking that as the AI systems get better and kids are able to employ those as you know tutors and assistants for themselves. Well, that frees up class time for us to do a bunch of cool other things, right? To get in the deep end, to have right. different experiences, to not like, oh my gosh, we have to spend a month working on a paper in English class because I need to give you all feedback. Well, you can get the feedback from whatever AI system 
right? And we can go do something else, right? right? And I think the classroom might just be more dynamic and engaging and like, hey, like, I know that we can produce this paper. Let's go, let's talk about these concepts in real time. Like, let's get the butcher paper out and really just jump in. Well, and that's why I love project-based learning. Because project-based learning, AI is not going to be your project. It's a tool to build a project with, but it's not the final component. And you can use AI to to really build and develop what you're working on. But I'm not going to be able to just say, make me this particular project and call it done. Because you're still probably going to need images. You're going to need to, you know, find all of those components of the project to make it awesome and make it stand out to really show what you've mastered in the content. It's not the end of the the project itself. And so I think PBL is one of those um, teaching styles that allows for students to really get creative Mm -hmm. in how they express their understanding of content. And it goes beyond um, written expression. I mean, written expression is definitely a component or a piece of the final project, but it's not Mm -hmm. the project. Mm -hmm. And um, the way that I've structured uh, my PBL class is I allow students to develop their own project mm-hmm. based on their interests, their passions, mm-hmm. so that I get 24 different projects in one in one class. The rubric is the standards. It has to represent the standard. Mm-hmm. If it if you have the coolest roller coaster made out of toothpicks, but it doesn't match any content that we've studied. And you can't explain how that roller coaster connects to content. Right. You just made a really cool craft. Right. It's not a project. And so if we can make sure that AI is a tool similar to a hammer or even a nail, something that holds something together. Right. It's it holds so much potential for the classroom and is nothing to necessarily be feared. And we, I mean, we still have a a job as a teacher to hold kids, you know, responsible and teach them the ethics of, you know, cutting corners and why you shouldn't do that. And, you know, what do you need to do to really um, solidify your own understanding? Because you're not growing if you're cheating. Mm -hmm. I mean, and again, whether we use that word or not, you know, are they are they really growing in their understanding and have you established the growth mindset that's necessary within a classroom for students to say you know what i want to learn this it's not about how quickly can i get something done but how much can i learn in the process of doing this right right man i've i've got so much <clears throat> i want to add to that but um we're... <laughs> <laughs> i could keep i could talk to you for hours um, like I was saying before the show, right? Like, like we get a bunch of educators together and then keep on talking education, right? I think that's probably true right. of any craft or any, any occupation. Um, but so just kind of, just to kind of recap, like you're, you're way into project-based learning. You've got the flip classroom. Um, you've, you've created a, a amazing visual, um, entry point and in, into learning for your students that, that, that really looks like Netflix offers them choice. Um, 
big essential questions, a lot of, a lot of group activities in there. Um, it sounds like there's existential crisis happening all over the place, which is probably why it's always been a thing when being a human, right? <laughs> um, and, but it's not like there's also a lot of, a lot of hope with, with AI and what we can do with it professionally and what we can, the, the space it can, can create for um, students to become independent, authentic learners, even though they must do that within the boundaries of the, the content area, right? Right. Which almost, which almost kind of, I don't want to say gamify or maybe artify, but but anything that's worth doing usually has some boundaries and rules because that's the fun, right? Whether it's a poem, a painting, a game, a classroom, right? So you can mm -hmm. you can you can have those boundaries and still play, you know, right? Have a lot of fun within that. So, um, Dan, man, it is great meeting you. Um, anything you want to add before we close out the show? Just don't be afraid of AI. Allow your fear to turn into focus, and you know, dive into some of this, um, some of these changes that have really hit the classroom um, and make it so that, one, you're not caught off guard by what your students are going to use because they are going to use it. And you need to immerse yourself in what they're going to use. One, it allows you to connect better with your students. It allows you to see their world, what their understanding of the world is, and allows you the opportunity to guide students so that they're using it correctly, effectively, um, and they're they're actually developing a skill set instead of just, you know, it creating a frustration point for you. Right. Well, Dan, thanks a lot for coming on. Um, have a good summer. Thank you. This summer. Thanks for coming on our show. Bot Brothers. All right, all right. That's the show. If you like this show, if you like our guests, give us some stars. Follow us. Like us. Share. And now we can subscribe. We got our own YouTube channel, Bot Brothers AI for Educators on YouTube. Bot Brothers. We're on Twitter at the Bot Brothers. Gmail, the Bot Brothers AI at Gmail. Pat runs a Facebook group called the Bot Brothers AI for Educators. Fantastic place to get hold of us there. But if you know anyone who you think would be a good guest or if you have a topic you want us to examine, please drop us a line at any of those above aforementioned links. Thanks for tuning in. Bye bye. Bot Brothers. <laughs> the Bot Brothers.